Evolve Medical Education Podcasts. Hello, my name is Christina Wang and I'm a professor of ophthalmology at the Baylor College of Medicine. Recently, Evolve Medical Education held a virtual event in which three retina specialists discussed various aspects of geographic atrophy. I've worked to adapt that event into a podcast mini-series titled Emerging Trends in Geographic Atrophy. This educational activity is supported by Iveric Bio. If you're an eye care provider or a trainee, you already know that geographic atrophy, or GA, is one of the most confounding diseases our patients face. No regulatory body has approved a safe and effective therapy for the treatment of GA, and when left untreated, our patients may lose functional vision. However, there may be hope on the horizon. Filings with the U.S. Food and Drug Administration are already underway for two potential therapies. If one or either of them are approved, the treatment landscape will shift significantly. With that in mind, we owe it to ourselves and our patients to learn as much as we can about GA before therapy is approved. On our first episode of this mini-series, Margaret Chang guides us through the basics of GA, how to define it, and how to understand its pathogenesis. Dr. Chang is a senior partner with the Retina Consultants Medical Group in Sacramento. She'll take it from here. Let's start at the beginning by defining what exactly geographic atrophy is. So we all know that there are many different ways to categorize age-related macular degeneration, but all of them agree that there is a stepwise progression in severity with an increase in number and size of drusen and presentation, presence of pigmentation in the macula. The advanced or late form of macular degeneration, which makes up approximately 10% of AMD cases, can take on the form of geographic atrophy or neovascular AMD. As seen on color fundus photography, geographic atrophy is a sharply demarcated atrophic lesion of the outer retina. You can usually see large choroidal vessels through the area of GA because of the loss of overlying photoreceptors, retinal pigment epithelium, and choriocapillaris. Now, although you can usually see GA well through color fundus photography, areas that are less clear can be better imaged with fundus autofluorescence. The loss of RPE lipofusin in areas of GA mean that areas of GA stand out as very dark areas on autofluorescence images. Now, because many retinal specialists realized that there were many different stages to geographic atrophy, and there, there were some morphologic features to atrophy that couldn't be seen on color fundus photographs alone, there was a panel of experts convened to more appropriately define geographic atrophy based on optical coherence tomography findings. So they defined complete RPE and outer retinal atrophy, or CRORA for short, on OCT as a region of hypertransmission of greater or equal than 250 microns, an RPE zone of attenuation of 250 microns or greater, overlying photoreceptor loss, and an absence of an RPE tear. Now, CRORA, as seen in the context of non-neovascular AMD, is what we all think of as geographic atrophy. But when it occurs in the eyes with previous or coexisting of CNB, we would call these eyes macular atrophy. Now, eyes with less complete forms of geographic atrophy as seen on OCT would be known as irora, seora, and iora. So let's now go over the prevalence of macular degeneration and geographic atrophy. 
We know that the prevalence of AMD in the United States jumped significantly from 1.75 million in the year 2000 to 2 million in the year 2010. Now, as the population is aging, living longer and growing, the projected prevalence of macular degeneration is only going to continue to grow, possibly exceeding 5 million by the year 2050. Globally, the increasing elderly population is also leading to an expansion in AMD cases, with AMD approximately accounting for 8.7% of world blindness overall. The global prevalence of macular degeneration is growing from 196 million in 2020 to 288 million in the year 2040. Geographic atrophy accounts for approximately 35% of all advanced AMD cases and about 20% of all legal blindness attributed to AMD. Now we all know that macular degeneration is more common in older age groups, but according to population-based studies, geographic atrophy is also more common in certain ethnic groups than others. For instance, in the Salisbury Eye Study, they found that the prevalence of geographic atrophy was 1.8% in the Caucasian individuals versus 0.3% in Blacks. So in U.S. Caucasians, there are 160,000 new cases per year with an incidence rate of late AMD that triples per decade increase in age. This incidence seems to be higher than neovascular AMD because while the incidence of GA and CNV is comparable up to the age of 70, the incidence of GA is then higher than CNV after the age of 70. So what is the etiology of geographic atrophy? As we all know, in addition to age, the reasons someone can develop AMD are going to be multifactorial. There is an interplay between genetics, the physiology of the individual, environmental factors and stressors, and lifestyle modifications that can affect the ultimate course of macular degeneration. Let's go over the risk factors for, for geographic atrophy. Age, of course, is by far the number one risk factor for macular degeneration. Aging is associated with structural and functional retinal changes that predispose to the development of macular degeneration and the additive effects of other pathological risk factors only adds up over time. So a third of adults older than 75 have some form of macular degeneration and gaining 10 years of life gives a tenfold higher prevalence of geographic atrophy or choroidal neovascularization over those aged 70 to 74. As we said before, a third to a half of individuals with late AMD have geographic atrophy or macular atrophy. In terms of genetic risk factors, genes linked to AMD are usually involved with the complement system and the immune system. These genetic risk factors are linked to disruptions in inflammatory cascades, formation of reactive oxygen species with damage to underlying tissues, and increase in drusen formation. We'll be discussing a little bit more about the complement system a little bit later in this presentation. And other physiological risk factors are not quite as clear. Now, this is partly because the strength of these associations are not overwhelmingly strong. These are going to be based on population-based cohort studies, and these are notoriously difficult to analyze due to problems with exposure measurement, 
loss to follow-up, problems detecting small effects, and confounding and conflicting results are often found between studies. So for instance, in about half of population-based studies, obese individuals with a higher body mass index of 30 or greater have an increased probability of developing AMD, especially late AMD. However, other studies have found no association. Now you can postulate that obesity could be associated with progression of AMD because pro-inflammatory factors such as uh, cytokines, and complement components are going to be increased in these individuals. An increase in inflammation in these people could disturb RPE function and contribute to AMD development. Individuals with dyslipidemia may have a higher risk of AMD progression. We know that apolipoprotein E, triglycerides, and cholesterol are major drusen components. As these drusen components are oxidized, these pro-inflammatory uh, factors could then accelerate AMD development. A retrospective cohort study in Taiwan did find evidence that those with chronic hepatitis B infections were more likely to have any form of macular degeneration than those who did not. Now, was this due to a downregulation in DNA repair pathways of RPE cells affected by hepatitis B protein? Um, it's an interesting postulation. Now, other comorbidities, such as cardiovascular disease and diabetes, may be loosely associated, but the strength of those associations are just not as strong. By far, the most important modifiable risk factor for AMD progression is smoking, and this is a risk factor in about 30% of cases. This has been verified by almost all population studies and is the single most important thing that physicians can emphasize to patients in order to modify their disease risk. A poor diet, low in antioxidants and high in saturated fat has also been implicated in AMD progression. And conversely, the Mediterranean diet has been found in two prospective cohorts to reduce the risk of developing late AMD, but wasn't associated with any benefit in a third prospective cohort. Now the Mediterranean diet, as you know, is characterized by high antioxidant levels and uh, emphasizes fruits, vegetables, um, olive oil, legumes, grains and nuts, and a limited consumption of red meat. The relationship between alcohol use and AMD progression has been equivocal for some studies, uh, but a recent study published in JAMA Ophthalmology in November, 2021, along with some other studies uh, in the past in uh, Melbourne, Australia, some seem to suggest that increasing alcohol consumption can be related to an increased risk of geographic atrophy. And finally, the role of sunlight exposure is not historically been clear. There may be some uh, more oxidative stress in the retina causing development of AMD, but again, quantifying the total amount of sunlight exposure can be difficult to determine. Thanks for sticking with us so far. We'll take a quick break and be back with Dr. Cheng as she discusses the role of the complement system in GA. Let's check back in with Dr. Margaret Cheng as she discusses the role of the complement system in the development of GA. In terms of pathophysiology of geographic atrophy, it does seem clear that the complement system has a big role to play. What is complement? Complement is an evolutionarily ancient component of host defense. 
Although it was originally thought to be a uniquely vertebrate feature, it has been found in evolutionarily ancient uh, species such as sea urchins, horseshoe crabs, and sea anemones. So it's part of the innate immune system, which is not adaptable, um, and it is part of the first line of defense of the immune system. So the major functions of the innate immune system are going to be to recruit immune cells to infection sites through secreting cytokines, the activation of the complement cascade uh, to promote clearance of debris and dead cells, um, to identify and remove foreign substances, and to activate the adaptive immune system. It is also activated by the adaptive immune system, which is younger than the innate immune system, and the adaptive is restricted to jawed vertebrates, and it is much younger than the innate immune system. So it is, uh, the adaptive immune system is highly specific to each particular pathogen with immunological memory, and its hallmarks include B lymphocytes, as well as T lymphocytes, including CD8 cytotoxic and CD4 helper T cells. So the complement system is initiated by recognition of molecular signals and foreign pathogens that then trigger a cascade of enzymatic reactions that then are supposed to be tightly regulated to assure that complement is only activated in certain uh, parts of the body so that there is not any host tissue damage um, that is not otherwise warranted. So both inefficiencies or overstimulation of complement can be deleterious for the host. And that can be associated with increased susceptibility to infections, autoimmune diseases, chronic inflammation, graft rejection, cancer, or in our field of ophthalmology, macular degeneration. So during an infection, complement leads to inflammation, opsonization or coating of the pathogen through complement opsonins and lysis of the pathogenic surface through assembly of the membrane penetrating pores known as the membrane attack complex. Now the complement cascade can be activated three different ways, the classical, the alternative, and the leptin pathways. The classical complement pathway is triggered by the antibody bound to antigen. The lectin pathway is activated by carbohydrates and polysaccharides that are on the surface of microorganisms, but it can also be activated through oxidative stress. And the alternative pathway can be activated spontaneously for an immediate immune response, but it's usually triggered by microbial pathogens, cell debris, or molecular aggregates. Now, these pathways involve proteins that are mostly in, uh, existing as inactive precursors that are then sequentially uh, cleaved and activated. These all converge at C3, which is the most abundant complement found in the uh, blood and then results in the formation of activation products, C3A, C3B, C5A, and the membrane attack complex. The end result of complement activation is going to be cell death and inflammation. So how may you ask is complement possibly related to macular degeneration? So if we take a step back and look at drusen, which is one of the hallmarks of macular degeneration, um, this is a confocal microscopy photo of a drusen and the actual histopathological analysis is going to vary uh, depending on the donor and the disease stage. 
However, um, the common components of Drusen include complement system and inflammatory proteins, apolipoprotein E, oxidized lipids such as cholesterol and phospholipids, as well as other proteins. Now, why would complement proteins be present in Drusen? We do think that the aging retina is more susceptible to stress and environmental factors, which may activate the complement cascade. So C3 fragments, C5, and the membrane attack complex have been identified in Drusen, the sub-RPE space, and within the capillaries of the choroid. In addition, Drusen with associated MAC deposition is associated with the generation of the macular choriocapillaris. More than 40 genetic loci have been implicated in macular degeneration, accounting for about 50% of the risk. Most of these loci center around activation or dysregulation of the complement system. So polymorphisms in complement factor H, located on chromosome 1, Q31, has been associated with an increased risk of macular degeneration. The polymorphisms may cause uncontrolled complement activation by initiation events. Complement factor H is a major inhibitor of the alternative complement pathway. Other risk alleles coding for proteins of the alternative complement pathway have also been found. So it seems like this alternative pathway may be a main driver of disease. So these may be future therapeutic targets and also provide biomarkers for disease risk stratification. In addition to complement factor H, another major gene associated with macular degeneration is ARMS2, located on chromosome 10Q26. ARMS2 codes for an extracellular matrix protein, and its function appears to be linked to the also regulation of the complement system. Um, it is expressed on the surface of human monocytes and has been speculated to regulate the surface complement-mediated phagocytosis of cellular debris. So if you decrease ARMS2 protein, you can uh, lead to an, an increase in drusen accumulation due to decreased cellular debris clearance. ARMS2 deletion has also been uh, associated with an increase in serum C-reactive protein. As you know, this uh, represents systemic inflammatory activity. It is a marker of chronic low-grade inflammation, and it has also been associated with the late stage of macular degeneration. So in this particular study, patients with AMD who had both um, ARMS2 mutations, CFH mutations, um, or either one, had significantly higher levels of complement activation components than the controls and had an elevated C3B to C3 ratio, which was used as a marker of C3 activation. Both ARMS2 and complement factor H have been associated with macular degeneration in multiple ethnic groups, and this includes American, Dutch, Italian, Swiss, Chinese, Indian, and Japanese populations. So how do Jews inform? We think that aging plus genetic susceptibility are the key factors that then can be modulated by environmental factors. So if you have lipid accumulation like that seen in atherosclerosis, um, that can prevent the choriocapillaris from properly clearing lipoproteins from the RPE and Brooks membrane. Um, if you have a decrease in choroidal blood flow with age, that also contributes to a state of hypoxia for the RPE and decreases the ability for the RPE to uh, clear waste products through the choriocapillaris. Um, there's also an increase in thickness of Brooks membrane over time, and that will decrease its permeability 
um, increasing the waste product buildup in RPE cells. And now the RPE cells are going to be more and more stressed with time. So they are going to have more of a problem exporting lipoproteins across Brooks membrane to the chorocapillaris. There's also a simultaneous decline in the size and number of mitochondria and lysosomes, rendering the RPE more prone to oxidative stress and lipofusin accumulation. So the RPE cells then excrete excess lipoproteins between the RPE and Brooks membrane. Those lipoproteins get oxidized and oxidized lipoproteins interact with complement and the complement system is activated. So in summary, environmental stressors such as smoking and diet combined with genetic predisposition for complement mediated risk factors for macular degeneration and age with a, with a cumulative lifetime of oxidative stress will result in chronic low-grade complement activation and deposition at the level of Brooks membrane and the RPE. Complement-mediated damage to Brooks membrane and macrophage recruitment with subsequent VEGF expression can lead to choroidal revascularization. Whereas complement-mediated lysis of cells due to the membrane attack complex and RPE apoptosis can lead to geographic atrophy. Well, thanks for joining us, listeners, and thanks to Dr. Chang for guiding us through the first episode of Emerging Trends in Geographic Atrophy, and thanks to Iveric Bio for supporting this educational activity. We have two more episodes coming out soon. If you want those episodes to hit your podcast app's feed directly, be sure to subscribe to the podcast. For now, I'm Christina Wang. <laughs>